But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing to evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. We'll stop right there. This is God's Word. Let's ask His blessing in understanding and obeying it. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday. We thank you for all whom are here. We thank you for those joining with us by live stream. Lord, we thank you for those who would be here if they could. We ask you to bless them. And Lord, we ask you to bless those that are in despair or pain. Lord, those that have suffered loss. Lord, we readily admit we need you. And to make full use of this time we have together with your word open in our lap, we need you still to explain these things to us and to show us that this is the correct way. This is what you revealed to us. This is your word. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Now you may recall a couple of weeks ago when we were, were kind of charting the course of this short little three-chapter book. The first chapter has to do with leadership, the right way, the wrong way. But the second chapter has to do with the membership. That's each of you. And I warned you that by the time we get into chapter 2, this little book will be all up in your business. We just read things that if we were to read out loud and say the public forum or public marketplace of ideas, we'd, we'd have been shouted down long before we got to the end of it. You just can't say that stuff anymore. Well, God said it, and he keeps saying it, and he'll keep saying it, whether or not there are any with ears to hear or eyes to see. So we finished chapter 1, and it might seem all well and good that the church would have something to say about who gets to lead a church and what qualifications are necessary. But maybe not everybody is ready for when that same Bible gets into the pews and starts telling the membership, how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to be viewed by uh, the world around them. But that's where we land today. Some of the things we read in this chapter seem hard to hear. It's precisely because it flies right in the face of the culture that's pretty much the polar opposite of this type of thinking. So that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. And if we remember, Paul took careful steps to draw a clear line between those qualified to lead in a church and those who are unqualified. He's now going to draw a very clear line of distinction between those who look like God's kids and those who don't. 
And that's what's on our plate for today. We're only going to cover the first part of, of what we read. If you notice, there was roughly three groups. It started with, uh, as for you, that's speaking to Titus. And then it concluded with uh, the way the slave-master relationship works, which some of that might transfer over into employer-employee. But we're going to just have to conclude that this culture was a lot different than the one we live in, and we'll look at that when we get there. But in between, you had older men, older women, younger men, younger women. We'll look at the older men and older women today. The younger we'll look at next week. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not an older man or woman, so I guess this isn't for me. Well, if everything goes well, you should make it to older man or woman. Uh, this will apply, and it'd be a good idea to pay attention today. It affects us all. These things are explained differently for different stages of life, but really the application is, is universal. John Stott says that here, Titus 2 we find the indissoluble connection between Christian doctrine and Christian duty or between our theology and our actions. You could put it another way. We've done this already. What we believe should determine how we behave. So believing is behaving. And that's not unique to Titus. It's not as if this is the only place that Paul says such things. In fact, it'll take me a minute or two, but if we were to run through our New Testaments... If you're in Romans, you've got 11 chapters worth of doctrine up front, and it's deep. And I've uh, never summoned the courage to teach through Romans yet. I'm, I'm waiting for that older man credential to, to tackle the book of Romans. But after 11 chapters of doctrine, you get to the application in chapter 12. And what does he say? I appeal to you, therefore, because of all that doctrine... By the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he starts practically telling them how to live out all that doctrine. Now, when you get to Ephesians, after three chapters of doctrine, chapter 4 begins with, I, therefore, because of all the doctrine, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. You know some stuff, so now walk that stuff. In Colossians, two chapters of doctrine, the third chapter begins, If then, that's kind of like a therefore, you've been raised with Christ, he's explained what that means, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I know you live here, but we're headed there, so act accordingly. When you get to Philippians, after three chapters of doctrine, you get to chapter 4, it begins, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. It's going to be a bumpy road. You're going to have to live this stuff out. So four different books, same combination. Start with some doctrine and work your way to the application, the obedience part. So I think the scriptures make their case. This is just one of many. Um, but the, the summary is God expects your belief about him to be worked out such that you not only know him, but you look like him. Your belief should spill over into your behavior. So verse 1, where we started a moment ago. But as for you, that's Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
Now, this is kind of uh, the starting gate for the rest of of what we see in chapter 2 in contrast to the fake teachers who teach the wrong way for their own self-aggrandizement. He's saying here, and pay close attention to this. Look at it again. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Is he saying teach sound doctrine? No, he's saying teach what accords with the sound doctrine. He's already taught the sound doctrine, and he'll teach more sound doctrine. Paul is saying there's some stuff that goes with the sound doctrine that you need to start teaching. And that word accords with, probably you didn't use that this past week. Substitute it with the word fits. Teach the stuff that fits with the sound doctrine. Teach them how to apply it, Titus. That's what you do. Get through the understanding portion. Lay it all out. Explain it. Okay, I've got it. The next step is, here's what you do with it. This is how you obey it. When we teach, we're trying to, to do those two things. What are we supposed to understand? What are we supposed to obey? We get it right here from Paul and from Titus. He's doing a marvelous job. And in verse 2, he starts doing exactly what he just told Titus to do and gives us a whole plateful of what accords with that previous sound doctrine. He outlines specific detailed instructions for different groups within the churches. This is how your belief should behave. In other words, Titus call a family meeting of the church and spell out these things. Tell them, you've, you've got your head knowledge now. This practical stuff should fall right out of it. And it shouldn't have to really even be thought through. It should be natural. So one more disclaimer, and then we'll jump into older men and older women. We would be wrong to think that this is just another one of those places in Scripture where we have a nice organized list of things to help each of us with our task of cleaning up our moral self, as if this is just a self-help list among other self-help lists, that if your morality, your spirituality needs a booster, come get a little bit of Titus 2. Don't look at it that way. Look at it as God's inspired word through his apostle Paul to communicate to you what he expects of you as his children until he calls you home to heaven. This isn't optional. I wish it was. It would be lovely to be able to chop this part out as dated and says some things that make people twitch funny these days. Right? Bible makes everybody twitch funny because we have this sinful heart within us Even though the sin has been conquered, it still remains. And until we see Jesus face to face, we're not glorified. We're not like him. We we work at this. So this is what he expects. This is an extra credit. This is the basics. So with that said, um, God having had this in mind all along when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he's going to work us back to that point. But here's how he'll do so. Older men. And does it surprise us that he starts with the older generation first? Uh, No, because it's the Bible. Now, turn on your TV. Do they start with the older crowd? Depends on what channel you're watching. If you're watching that channel where all they run is gun smoke, you're going to see all those commercials about, uh, what is it, your Medicare part, something or another. (laughs) And then they're going to give you the extended warranty um, 
commercials, and then they're going to try to sell you one of these fancy new hover rounds or something, right? They know their audience. But other than that channel, it's pretty much either this is for the young folks or for those of you who want to feel younger and look younger because youth seems to be where America puts all its eggs in that basket. Not with Paul. Paul believes that the youth is the future of the church, but he doesn't believe that that's where you'll get any of your wisdom from. When we put together a building committee here not too long ago, we didn't go to the children's wing and see if any of the kids want to serve on it. They don't know about building things, and they don't know what stuff costs. In fact, they might just think that the grocery stores, the people that make all the food that we eat, that it wasn't grown somewhere. Do you see where I'm getting here? There has to be some experience, time-tested wisdom that would be the backbone of a church, which is part of a full family that has children as well. But as, as far as um, the, the, the wisdom trust, he starts with the older generation. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So there's six things. They're kind of gathered together in triplets here. Uh, the first three and then the second three. Call the first three dignity. Call the second three maturity. And it would probably be helpful to answer that question some of you have already asked. You say older. What do you mean by that? What's the number? What is an older person? Well, we've got our own definitions, and it might be different than this, but this would be speaking to a very Hellenized Greek culture in the island of Crete. Paul's talking to Titus. And from what we know about their culture, 50 was where they said, you're now older. Now, they had shorter lifespans, so maybe 60 here is the new 50 there. I don't know. But it seems the idea of having been married, have your children, your children are grown, and maybe they've given you some grandchildren, somewhere in there you can call yourself old-er. Dad always said, put the er on the end of old. It'll keep you out of trouble because it kind of gives you some space on either side of it. But... What, what are we supposed to do with this? He says that older men are to be. I, I like the way are to be is there because it's possible to be an older Christian man and not be any of these things that he lists here. And it's also specific to the particular age group. Some of the stuff he'll say to the older men, he won't say to the younger men and vice versa because they're in different stages of life. Uh, older men are not going to be given the same instruction nor do they have the same cares or concerns. The first one is sober-minded. It literally means not mixed with wine. It's not unlike what we saw with the uh, requirements for, for leadership. More woodenly, you could call it wine-less, but the basis of the idea means clear-headed. It means not under the influence of anything that would take the steering wheel. This came up with the leadership. It came up with the older men. It's going to come up with uh, the older men. came up with the older women as well. Uh, he's hit it three times. Was that a big problem on the island of Crete? Maybe. Is it a big problem in America? Yeah. I looked up how many, how much, 
This is just me thinking, how do I illustrate this stuff? Would you want to guess how much beer is made in, in America for every man, woman, and child that lives here on an annual basis? About 30 gallons each. That means somebody's drinking a lot more than others. Because I, my, my, my kids didn't get their 30 gallons. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's part of this culture. We, we do this to excess. And think about what it is. Is it the big boogeyman? We, we talked about it honestly last week. The Bible calls it a gift in one place and a mocker in another place, right? So it can't be all bad, but it can't be all good. And you're supposed to have the wisdom to know the difference between the two, right? And really, don't kid yourself. Lots of stuff in life is supposed to be in moderation. Too much of really anything can be really bad. So what is it that he's, that he's getting at here? Is it a wisdom, a maturity issue? I think so. And the substance of that whole thing, whether it's, it's a pill or it's a drink, these things can numb us to the stuff that bothers us, can't they? It's a good way to check out. It's as if the Lord is saying, you can't check out and be a good Christian. I, I don't need checked out, great commission servants to carry this gospel uh, I'm going to need you for that and the brain I gave you. Uh, the real question, once you get to a certain age, I think, uh, I heard it put this way. I laughed out loud because I thought, isn't that the truth? The question is not why do some people abuse substances? Why doesn't everybody abuse substances? This life hurts. There's problems. There's stress. If you had a pill to get rid of that so I can roll on, give me one. But it's cheating at a certain point because there's this balance in your brain that God made to work right. And once you've given it the stuff that he has you to have, but more than you should have, then when you don't have it, you need it really bad. I think that's what he's getting at. You've, you've got something attached to you to be normal that you didn't have before. A massive amount of maturity must be necessary to think your way through that and make those decisions while there are younger people watching, Right? So that's the first one, temperate. Second of all, um, he needs to be dignified. That's worthy of respect. Uh, the idea of being seriously minded, not that he's boring or he doesn't you know, say anything interesting or he's flippant or trivial, uh, certainly not shallow, but there's a weightiness to his, his character. Um, it's kind of a description of how he's matured and grown up. I say, well, he's 50. He should be by now. Not necessarily. Just because you're 50 doesn't mean you've grown up. Uh, they've extended the age of adolescence to 27 now. Um, they say our brains are still like learning risk assessment at that point. That's why that can explain a lot of things, can't it? Um, <laughs> I wrote down here, and this, I think, goes back to the first edition five years ago. Some men look a lot younger than they really are. That's not a problem. Some people try to look younger than they are. That can be. Why? Only because it, it's kind of in competition with your dignity. 
I'm going to tread lightly here, okay? But uh, that word contrived kind of goes along there. It can, it can be obvious to other people, maybe if it's not to the person trying to hold on to youth. Wear your age. You've earned it. How's that phrase go? By 50, a man gets the face he deserves. <laughs> right? So here, here's what you've done with the better part of your life already. So everybody gets to look at it, whether you like it or not. Hopefully everybody likes it too. Dignity is earned. They've, at this point in life, many of them have buried the parents. Um, maybe they've buried a brother or sister. They've attended funerals of their friends. And, and God hold them tight. Some of them have buried a child. Life's different after that. And there's something of substance from surviving that that is of value to those who have no clue what any of that is. Uh, life isn't a joke for these men. Life seems to be a joke for, you know, our 20s. Um, they don't laugh at things that are tragic or stupid. If they laugh, it's probably really funny because they've earned the right to say what's funny and what's not. That's why a lot of them get up out of the room when young people are joking about stuff. Y'all are crazy. You won't joke about that stuff later. So the last one here out of the first three is sensible. I mean self-controlled. It refers to a soundness of mind and thinking that shows up in self-disciplined lifestyle. Because it takes time. Uh, They know what to do. They have discernment. It comes with experience. They have the loose ends of life buttoned up. And then there's these last three, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. So all three of those are sound. Sound in faith means healthy, whole, and uncontaminated in their trust of God. That takes time. People come to church, they want to hear a five-step plan over five weeks or whatever and think they're you know, set for life. It takes as long to grow a mature Christian as it takes to raise a child, if not twice as long. Um, So to be healthy, whole, and and fixed in their trust, that's, that's a big deal. Sound in love. Their service to others is now more selfless than it is selfish. Not always. You can grow selfisher as you grow older. But a lot of times, just looking back on life and looking forward to what's left... You're, you're more generous if, if you're saved and you know it. Uh, and then sound in perseverance. That means that you, you keep on keeping on, committed to following these things no matter what. That has fallen on hard times, I do believe. I don't know what it is, but you, churches these days were not insulated from it, but it seems the older generation has their hand on the knob of the back door. Just like at their job. I've worked to here. I've earned retirement. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to travel. See ya. Only problem is, it's not in here. There's no, there's no retirement as, as a witness or as being useful to the kingdom. Um, how do I say this and not... Of all people... Don't you think pastors probably look forward to retirement more than anybody else? 
I'm done. I'm gone. No. Nobody retires. Because the kingdom is, is still going. There's still more people to lead to the Lord. Now, yes, you should, you should finish your work before you're no good at your work and people are waiting on you and it's dangerous or whatever. There's a reason why we went through that rash not long ago of people falling off ladders. They shouldn't be on ladders at a certain point, I guess. Do you need to have a committee or an intervention in your family to take your ladder license away? Maybe at some point. But that doesn't mean that the wisdom in your head is not useful to a young man who's lost because this generation hasn't taught him anything. We need that stuff. So sound and steadfastness, perseverance, that's a big deal. Now, older women. I'm, I'm, I'm not a woman. I never will be. Um, we've got a book to explain all that stuff to us, right? There's a big difference. So that's my way of saying I'm going to be careful here. Um, if anybody's aggravated, we'll try to blame it on Paul. <laughs> and we'll blame that on the good Lord who told him what to say. But I part of this week was thinking, I will be glad to meet Titus. Just to say, what was it like reading that letter you're supposed to tell everybody else? Especially verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. I guess he's just over in Crete. They've got just women sitting around tables playing bridge with boxes of wine. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, the kind of little plastic, whatever, you see them in, that's really long aisle in Walmart. When you get lost, Walmart's got, you know, a different layout for every store. So you have to walk through all the aisles you don't know trying to find the one dumb thing that you went in there for. And they'll put it in the back corner. All right, we're going to take this. Reverent in behavior, we'll call that sacred. Not slanders, we'll call that sweet. Slaves to much wine, we'll call that sober. And they are to teach what is good. Serious isn't the best. But it rhymes with a rest because it starts with an S. So sacred, sweet, sober, and serious. Older women likewise. So whatever applied to the men seems to apply here to the women too. Um, it's just as important, just as foundational to the church body, just as much an indispensable deposit of wisdom and experience. But just as it is possible to be an older man and not have those things, it's possible to be an older Christian lady and not have a single one of these requirements. Sacred means reverent in behavior. This one's difficult because the only place in Scripture that has this word, King James Version puts it, as becometh holiness. Um, but it's unique to the New Testament and literally means fit for service in the temple. That their life is such that as far as that church family, they've got a set-apartness for the work of... Uh, I don't know. I'd like to call them the bomb squad. You know, when you just got a, a bomb fixing to go off and none of the men know what to do with it. Call an older lady who's been through some things. They can help with that. Uh, it includes the idea of deportment. That's a person's behavior or manners. 
Just like the idea of the man trying to look younger. Um, I think I mentioned this the last go-round. The way our culture is engineered right now, it's probably almost more likely that a mother with an adolescent in the house, and they're trying to navigate all that, and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, and where to go get your outfits, and how to do your hair, and all that stuff that none of us know anything about. Rather than doubling down on trying to get that right, they just try to outdo their daughter themselves. Because it's applauded in our culture. Refuse to grow old because it's awful. It's, 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 it's heinous. Just wide open. I don't think that that is anywhere even near what Paul is saying here. Um, the world's pulling us all in different directions, and most of them are bad. But older women should know by that time in their life that younger women are potential victims of shallow and short-lived promises. And that's exactly what our culture says go all in on. The shallow and short-lived promises. If we're going to tell them that their appearance is what's best, what happens when it fades? They're no good. That's a lie right out of the devil's playbook. It's not true. Um, the church must have older women who figured out that their greatest contribution has never been their appearance, but their spiritual faithfulness. That's all God ever asked of us. And it must be transferred to the next generation. All right, they're also sweet, which would be the opposite of what's described here as a malicious gossip, which is what it is to slander someone. It's telling lies about their character. And I don't know any other way to exposit this to you Right out of the Greek, this means she-devil. It's diablos in the feminine. Don't slander. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> right? And then sober. The word enslaved refers to someone held and controlled against their will. A habit that likely began as something that promised the ability to withdraw from the pressure of life, but now has become a prison cell. And we don't have to just pick on that. We've been through this already. Anything that creates a distance between a believer and holy living. My uh, daddy's stepfather uh, rented some properties. He ran a junkyard and had a trailer park. And I remember dad talking about how he taught him the difference between a good renter and a bad renter. Bad renter will tear your stuff up. And dad would use that in his messages. He'd say, these things, they're bad renters. They'll tear your life up. Don't hire them. Don't let them in. Don't trust them with your stuff. They'll tear it up. So the good Lord has the mercy to tell us these things, even through Paul, through Titus, through our New Testaments. And then serious, because that explains the why behind the others. If, if, if the others are important... Uh, you've got to be able to teach what's good. To, to be sacred, sweet, and sober gives you the type of, uh, I don't know, personality that would lend itself toward teaching what's there in verse 4. That's what the world wouldn't touch the 10-foot pole. And I would say most preachers don't have the stomach for it either. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. 
Is he insinuating that they're going to need to be taught to do that? That's what some dumb man would say. He just supposes he's lovable, just like he is, right? I don't think this is formal education here. I don't think this is a class. I don't think it's a prepackaged box set from Lifeway. We're going to teach you women how to love your husbands and your children. And two people show up, maybe. Um, Not likely to happen in a classroom. This is organic Uh, Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're very helpful. But this education is not complicated. It's spending time together. It's intentional. Wisdom's transferred, but it's not formal. In other words, it might have more to do with a back porch and a bowl of snap beans than a book study series. And a long time at that. So just like the older men, these ladies have been down the road. The young lady is on. They live in the world of experience. They've been there. They've done that. Where the young lady's still living in the world of theory. They haven't been there and they haven't done that. And they know the difference between the urgent and the important. The urgent gets all our time when the urgent seldom is important. Important's what needs it. So if we get back to that verse about loving husbands and children, shouldn't that come naturally as a Christian? Sort of. Um, because both can be quite impossible at times. Uh, we've got four children. We've got one on the way. We've got almost a couple decades of marriage between us. My mom would tell you I'm not the most lovable guy around. I'm like my daddy in that way, who was like his daddy. Um, I wrote this down. Sometimes if I think I'm going to step on a bomb, I just write it down. And that way, at least I'll know when it explodes. What about a young woman who's been married just long enough to learn how stubborn, difficult, insensitive, and hard-headed her husband can be, that she's unfortunately come to the wrong conclusion that she married the only man God made that way? She needs an older lady to tell her it isn't true. They're all like that. That's how they all come right out of the box. But they're not going to tell you that. And who, before they get married, wants to ruin, you know, any of the festivities by saying, buckle up, he's an idiot, like they all are. (laughs) Right? You don't tell them that stuff. You tell them, oh, it's great, it's wonderful. And then about a year in, and I had to learn this. Corey will tell you that her mother was her sounding board. So when I would do something like dumb men do, She'd go tell her mother what her dumb man did. And over time, her mom builds up this catalog of understanding that I really am an exceptional idiot. (laughs) Right? We had to learn that she's to tell the good stuff, too. She was right. Her mother's an older woman, but she needed more than one older woman to tell her how to steer through all that to where now you need to talk about this. Now you don't need to talk about that at all. Get your stuff done and roll on. But they're in, in equipped to do that because they're not going to do what the man does. Okay, well, fix it. I'll get my tools. It'll be done in an hour. Some of it's not fixed. It's just looked at and looked at from other angles and carry it with you all over the house and then just set it down. It's called attention 
or the one thing that the VP at uh, Southeastern who I asked right before I got in the car and went to my rehearsal dinner after my last exam, I said, any advice? He said, one word, listen. That'll let her know you care. That's major. And don't fake listen. She'll know if you're fake listening. Uh, She needs an older lady for this stuff. If I didn't have older ladies in my life, I wouldn't know what I'm even saying from the perspective of not knowing anything anyway. So what about the young ladies' children that get mouthy in adolescence, especially their daughters? What do they do then? Call dad to fix it? He can fix it. But not in a way that works for her because he doesn't respond to it the same way because it doesn't affect him the same way. He can fix certain things. He can go out in the yard with the boys and just have at it. Not with the girls. You're going to need an older lady. I'll tell you when I felt like I was absolutely worthless to my wife, a couple of times at least. One was when she lost her mother. I'll never know what that feels like because men relate to their mothers differently. So I had to watch, and it hurt really bad. And it hurt me that I couldn't help while she's hurting. I asked other men, and they said, It's called no man's land, pal. You just need to be there and you need to listen. But she needs some older ladies who've been in the same spot. And then another situation. It wasn't our first. I don't know if it was the second or the third, but it was different. I said, Honey, what's wrong? I don't know. Well, I, I can't help unless you give me some data. And then I can run it through my system and maybe I can help you. That's just the thing. I have no data. I don't know what's wrong. It's called postpartum depression. And for most men, it's something that they go to work and laugh about. That's a big mistake because it's very real. And you'll have to take your licks to learn such. But again, no man's land. You're not equipped to figure that out. Men might write books about it that women will laugh at later. But it's totally demoralizing because the thing you waited on for nine months is so precious to you, you don't know what to do with for a amount of time. You need an older lady in your church who will say, no one will understand you. I can try. I've been through it before. I'm right here if you need me. And if that's just to hold your hand, we'll get through it. That's gold. It's a good church. That's what these younger ladies need in you older ladies. Don't just get through that and then put it in deep freeze, never to be spoken again. Think of it as a trust from the Lord, a misery trust for you to help other young ladies in the same misery. The pain is what keeps us close to the Lord. When everything's sunny and shiny and great, we don't need Him or each other. But we're going to need each other when we go through the valley. Here's a summary. We'll conclude this way. When Paul gets to the end of that list, and we won't get there for a number of weeks, he's going to conclude, so that in everything, puts it all together in one ball, This believing influences your behaving so that they may adorn the doctrines of God our Savior. So what he's saying, the purpose for all of this is you've got this gospel that the world needs. And the way you behave yourself can adorn that. What's an adornment? There's a 
place down the street called Adorn. It's furnishings, right? That's what it is. You got a plain window, put some curtains on it. Adorn the window. Make it look attractive. Now, God's the author of beauty. He knows what real beauty is. But there's a way that we can live our lives to make the gospel attractive so that people don't hate the gospel because they're stumbling over Christians who don't look like their father. That's what all this is about. They might have a head full of Bible, but they act like jerks. No, we're going to act the way we've been told here so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Because the gospel, we're to act like this. And not just for our future, but because of others' salvation. So we need older men and women to demonstrate what it means to be faithful. The true mark of spiritual success. That's what you want to hear when you get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's a successful Christian. Men and women who will, in practice, in the daily grind, good days and bad, bring it back to the Bible over and over and over. How else are we supposed to know what it looks like? We've got our book, but who do we look at to see whether or not it works? You older folks, I need you. My wife needs you. My kids need you. Forget the 50 or 60 or whatever. There's a difference. We know there's a difference. The younger needs the older in the worst type of way. So Paul had told Timothy... To treat the older, this is not Titus, but Timothy. We could look at that later. To treat the older men and women of the church like he would his parents and the younger men and women like he would a brother or sister. I think that's, that's wonderful. But with that, the younger men and women of this church would benefit greatly, in many ways eternally, if we were so privileged to be treated like your sons and daughters. We went through this five years ago. I said the same thing. This time I'm tearing up. Thank you for taking care of me and my family. You older men and women have parented us wonderfully. And through hardship we didn't know we would go through. If anybody had said, this is going to be a great church, this is a big family, they cook really big meals... Eventually, you'll build a house, bury your father, and bring a fifth child home in the same year. I'd have said, uh, no. That's, that's death. But uh, I'm having the time of my life. It's a lot of fun. A doctor might say, uh, you can't do this for long. <laughs> but it's all seasons, isn't it? Isn't that how it works? Some of the Prettiest words in the Bible. And it came to pass. Right? Hallelujah. We got one. Amen. Anybody else want a second? We'll approve that motion. Right? All right. We need you, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're going to sing, May the Mind of Christ My Savior, only because it's the only substance how any of us are going to pull any of this off. It can't be us. It's got to be him. I think the song pretty much says it all. And when we're done with the song, David's going to lead us here in a moment. Uh, I'll come back, and we've got a couple. uh, We're going to vote in as members. 
who were not with us when we did that with the last uh, class. And then at the same time, we're going to pray about that and VBS. Uh, but with that said, I'll leave that prayer to the end. There you go.